Hello, in this week's UN Catch-Up, a veteran aid worker's take on the distressing scale of the humanitarian crisis in southern Madagascar. It's on the periphery of famine, he tells us, and not for the first time. There's an alert too from the World Health Organization on Africa, where a third wave of coronavirus infections is feared, along with some good news and some not so good from South Sudan, where schools have reopened after lockdown, and positive news too from the United States, which has decided to lift patent restrictions on COVID vaccines. Last but not least, dramatic insight and poetic justice from regular guest Solange Bejotege Cortes on the theme of global food insecurity. My name is Daniel Johnson from UN Geneva. I hope you enjoy the show. Let's begin with the news. UN Chief Antonio Guterres has hailed the United States administration's commitment to waive COVID-19 vaccine patent protections. He said on Thursday that the development would enable vaccine producers to share their technology, helping to expand locally produced vaccines and significantly increasing supplies to the UN partnered vaccine sharing scheme, COVAX. Mr Guterres's comments come after the United States said that it supported lifting intellectual property rights protections on coronavirus vaccines in light of the extraordinary circumstances of the pandemic. In a statement on Wednesday, US Trade Representative Catherine Tai said that the Biden administration would actively participate in ongoing negotiations at the World Trade Organization to make this happen. To Africa now and a warning from the UN Health Agency that COVID-19 vaccine delivery delays could cause a third wave of infections. The continent should make the most of the relatively few coronavirus jabs it has, urged Dr. Machidisa Mweti, World Health Organization or WHO Regional Director for Africa. She appealed for vaccine equity for Africa, which accounts for only 1% of all vaccines administered worldwide, down from 2% a few weeks ago. WHO said on Thursday that Africa's vaccination coverage is the lowest for any region of the world. Globally, 150 doses of coronavirus vaccine have been administered per 1,000 people, but in sub-Saharan Africa, this drops to around 8 doses per 1,000. All the doses we have should be injected into people's arms urgently. It's a race against time and the virus, Dr Mweti insisted, before urging countries to prioritise giving the first dose to as many high-risk people as possible in the shortest amount of time. The UN Health Agency said that new coronavirus variants have added to the impending emergency on the continent. The so-called Indian variant has been reported in at least one African country so far, while the South Africa strain is spreading in 23 African countries. The UK mutation has been found in 20. Finally to South Sudan, where children have gone back to school after more than 14 months away because of COVID-19 restrictions. Welcoming the development, UN Children's Fund UNICEF said that it was a step on the road to normalcy for two million youngsters across the country. Mads Oyen, UNICEF's chief of field operations, described it as a moment of joy for humanitarians and children across the country. Going back to school is more than about learning, especially in a country like South Sudan, where we are also faced with humanitarian emergencies in many parts of the country. Schools are places for children to be safe and to be protected, and also to access some basic services, school feeding and so on. Despite this good news, the UNICEF official noted that many children had not been able to return to class, the backdrop being a humanitarian situation in South Sudan that remains extremely difficult, with two in every three children in need of assistance, which is the highest figure since 2018. The news there, and this is UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. 
Now to this week's interview, which comes from southern Madagascar, where tens of thousands of people are on the periphery of famine, linked to years of drought and climate change. It's a desperate situation that's left veteran aid workers worried that families are too weak to walk to the nearest town for help. For first-hand insight, I spoke to Ahmed Dowdy from the World Food Programme. He's the senior director of operations, and he's seen it all before. But even he was shocked by the scale of malnutrition in the worst affected regions, as he explains. Currently, Madagascar is suffering from a consecutive, almost five years of consecutive droughts due to climate change. And, and uh, the, the food insecurity is absolutely horrendous. The situation on the ground is basically we are on the periphery of starvation, mass starvation in many communities in the greater south of Madagascar. So we're talking tens of thousands of people in famine-like conditions. It sounds like we're dancing around the subject. Are they actually starving now? There it is. We just concluded the IPC, the Integrated Phase Classification, and we have a lot of people in Phase 4. The deterioration in food security is extremely apparent. In December, we had two of the eight districts in Phase 4, which is the phase before famine. And today we stand at five of these districts in phase four with some pockets of phase five. So the situation is deteriorating rapidly and it's accelerating. The fact that WFP is going to be running out of food, we have been assisting these populations, but due to lack of resources, we've been providing reduced rations. And now, even with these reduced rations, we're running out of food in July. Maybe you could tell me what it is you're seeing in the worst affected districts. There's one, Ambovombe, where child malnutrition is more than one in four. One in four children is acutely malnourished. So what are you seeing when you visited the communities there? We saw kids that are not only stunted, but also absolutely skin and bones. Basically, and what we saw with our own eyes was horrendous. Even their mothers, their parents, the community as a whole was suffering. In two of the districts, the malnourishment is at 27%. Usually when you had it three, four months ago, it was between six and eight. So this is really, really dangerous. It's basically we are on the periphery. So the images were of starving children and highly malnourished kids. It sounds awful. So how long will it take, assuming you get the funding you need, how long will it take to get the food assistance from the ports to the rural communities where it's needed most? Well, it's going to be a challenging task. The infrastructure in the in the south is very poor. It's, it's extremely challenging. We need the resources yesterday. It takes quite some time for resources, when they are made available, to translate into food in the mouth of the hungry people. And we need to shorten that time as soon as possible and as fast as possible. Are you finding that people are leaving their communities because they've simply got nothing to eat and and very little water? They're going into the towns which are already affected by COVID. So what's your plan of attack, if you like? How are you hoping to help the maximum number of people? Well, there is definitely movement. We've seen many villages basically going completely deserted and people moving to some of the urban centers. That will definitely accelerate, but it's already a stress situation in these urban centers, so it will accelerate the transmission of COVID. But some of the interventions that we do, school feeding in such urban centers, currently WFP is assisting 
200,000 kids in the most affected areas, but that's not enough. We need to do more. We need to increase our spread of school feeding. But first and foremost is our life-saving activities, is to address and reverse the malnutrition trend and basically the food insecurity. We need to stabilize the situation and deploy whatever is available for us, not only as WFP, but the entire UN and NGO community, as well as the efforts of the government, in order to address all the underlying causes, from, from better seeds, from uh, better agriculture inputs, uh, irrigation systems, resilience work, health, and the like. This is a whole package that needs to be addressed, but the urgency now is saving life, and we need to reverse the trend of the deterioration in the food insecurity and malnutrition. You, I mean, you really highlight the scale of the problem, and it's a development problem too. So the World Food Programme would say that it's not a hopeless situation, but we've had nonetheless years and years of emergency. Something is not happening. Something needs to be done better. What do you think that might be? Well, you know, it's a continuum. Transiting from an emergency situation and reversing that trend requires continuous funding for resilience and early recovery and development. The issue also for us is the challenges is climate change. So we need to come to grip with that. It's there, it is with us, and we're seeing the effect of it in Madagascar, in the southern uh, South Madagascar, where basically we had sandstorms rendering many of the agriculture lands untenable for agriculture because of sandstorms. It's a very rare phenomenon here. But we have conflict as a cause of food insecurity and starvation. So all of that needs to be addressed. We need the world to come together to try and address all of these issues collectively. It is not WFP, it's not WHO, it's not UNICEF, it's all the entire governments and non-governments and public institutions needing to come together to address these problems. Let's talk about some of these solutions. They include introducing drought-resistant seed varieties. Is that working? Are people happy to try alternatives to cassava, corn and black-eyed peas and sorghum? I think working with the governments and working with the communities and the relevant specialized agencies, we need to address agriculture inputs, irrigation systems, maybe diversity of the diets by enabling them and helping them in the fishing rather than just relying purely on agriculture. All of this needs to be worked and is being worked on with the government, with the specialized agencies such as FAO, UNICEF and others. But for now, we really need to address the deterioration in the food security and and the uh, malnutrition to save the lives of people and bring them back from the periphery of famine. Thanks to Ahmed Dowdy there from the World Food Programme for sharing the scenes he encountered in Madagascar. We'll be sure to update you on this story soon here on UN Catch Up Dateline Geneva. Now to wrap up the show, it's my pleasure to welcome back Solange Behategui-Cortez from the Information Service at UN Geneva. Hola, Daniel. Hola, Solange. Thank you for being on the show. Tell me, what do you make of this dire situation? Ed workers from the World Food Programme, WFP, recorded the testimony of a 30-year-old woman in Madagascar, Sazi. And Sazi has to feed 12 boys and girls to survive. They eat wild leaves called taritarika in Malagasy. They eat taritarika for breakfast and for dinner. I don't know what their nutritional value is. I only know that they will not kill us, she says. In humans, brain neurons are formed until a child is five years old. 
If during this time the child does not receive adequate, sufficient and regular nutrition, it will remain stunted for life. In Madagascar, one in four children live with acute malnutrition. For sure, something needs to be done better. In 1958, UNESCO, the UN Cultural, Educational and Scientific Organization, commissioned a short film for the World Fair Exposition Universelle from Paul Grimold called La Fin du Monde, Hunger in the World. In three minutes and 30 seconds, the film tells the story of humanity, the population explosion and the growing imbalance of wealth distribution between rich and poor countries. In Mahatma Gandhi's words, the world has enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. Of course, hunger is everywhere. And the poet Jacques Prévert wrote in Grasse Matinée, a man who hasn't eaten for three days and three nights, it can't go on like this. He says to himself, the right to food is quite probably the most consistently and massively violated of all human rights. Madagascar hurts. Every shadow of a man, every woman living in squalor, every malnourished child, every dry mouth. What is in the head of a hungry child? Thank you, Solange. And that Jacques Prévert poem, La Grasse Matinée, written at a time of wartime rationing in 1945, is still relevant today, anarchic and tragic as it is, at least in my mind. But then, shouldn't everyone have enough to eat? That's a fair question, and zero hunger is certainly right up there with the UN's top priorities, as defined by the 17 Sustainable Development Goals that all countries have pledged to achieve by 2030. And as the Secretary-General of the United Nations told the Security Council in March, if you don't feed people, you feed conflict. Well, I think we've covered plenty of ground today. Thanks to you, Solange. Gracias, Daniel. And to you, production assistant Justine Bryce, who, listeners, let me tell you, is making sure that you can find this show online. Shall we do it again next week, everyone? I hope to have your company, listeners, because with a bit of luck, we'll be talking to a Somali doctor. A good news story for once. I know you're in shock, but I hope you'll recover in time for next week's UN Catch-Up. Do not forget, if you want more, there's audio bulletins and a stack of stories from UN News every day. Just check out the website. So until next week, this is Daniel Johnson signing off. Stay safe and stay well. Bye-bye for now. Bye.